Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net. Um, what we're doing today, actually, it's a very short reading, uh, but we're do- what we're doing is we're going to have the same reading, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 4, uh, read in the four most common languages spoken here in Manchester. Um, so it should be quite interesting. See if you can work it out. (laughs) So Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, grow from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram went, as the Lord had come, has told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. I'm going to be reading the same thing in Urdu. Rab ne Abram se kaha, apne vatan, apne rishtedaru, aur apne baap ke ghar ko chhod kar, us mulk mein chala ja, jo main tujhe dikhaunga. Main tujhse ek badi kaum banaunga. तुझे बरकत दूंगा और तेरे नाम को बहुत बढ़ाऊंगा तू दूसरों के लिए बरकत का बाइस होगा जो तुझे बरकत देंगे उन्हें मैं भी बरकत दूंगा जो तुझ पर लानत करेगा उस पर मैं भी लानत करूंगा दुनिया की तमाम कौमें तुझसे बरकत पाएंगी अब्राम ने रब की सुनी और हारान से रवाना हुआ लूत उसके साथ था उस वक्त अब्राम 75 साल का था Yeho this is in Arabic. وَكَالَ رَبِّ لِأَبْرَامِ اذْهَبْ مِنْ أَرِيْذِكَ وَمِنْ أَشِيرْتِكَ وَمِنْ بَيْتَ أَبِيْكَ إِلَّا الْأَرْضَ الَّتِي أُرَيْكَ فَأَجَلَكَ أُمَّ أَذِيمَ وَأُبَارُكَ وَأَذْمَ إِسْمِكَ وتكون بركة وأبارك مبارك كيكا ولأنك ولأنه وتتباركك فيك جميع كبائر الأرض فذهب إبرام كما قال له الرب وذهب معه لوت وكان إبرام أبنى خمسين وسبعين سنة لما خرج من هارون Our world is changing. 200 years ago, if you wanted to travel from Britain to India, it was a six-month sea voyage. And a lot of people didn't survive the journey. They just died on the ship. Six-month sea voyage. Last week, I flew from London to South Korea uh, on Friday night, 
And on Sunday night, flew from South Korea to Singapore. Then on Wednesday morning, back to South Korea and then back to London. Five days and more than 20,000 miles. In 1815, 200 years ago, it took a year to get a reply to a letter. Because you'd write your letter, put it on a boat that took six months to get back to England, and then the person who got it, if they got the reply back in time, would send their letter and you'd get it six months after that. William Carey was a missionary in India, and he complained to his family because they'd missed the boat and he had to wait another six months before hearing back from them. Nowadays, you can just phone somebody on FaceTime for free. The early missionary, William Carey, was warned about the problem of going to India long-term because they said you won't have enough food to eat. They assumed, some people assumed, that he would actually have to take enough European food to last him for the rest of his life. It's sort of the idea that he could eat the native food was a little bit strange to them. Do you know what the UK's favourite dish is these days? Chicken tikka. 200 years ago, about 5% of the world's population lived in cities. 5%. And by most estimates, more than 50% of the world's population now live in cities. 200 years ago, this city, which was the birthplace, the cradle of the Industrial Revolution, was pretty much monocultural. Pretty much everyone in Manchester 200 years ago would have been a white British person, and now it is a breathtaking and beautifully multicultural city. Over 200 languages are spoken in our city. And if you walk around urban South Manchester, you'll see a mosaic of different cultures and customs and peoples. Our world is changing. It's getting bigger and smaller and more urban at the same time. It's getting bigger. There are now more than 7 billion people on the globe. There are more than 20 megacities. Megacities are those that have more than 10 million people in them. There's more technology. There's more information available. There's more complexity. There's more wealth. There's more poverty. The problems are bigger. But at the same time, the world's getting smaller and smaller. It's more accessible through communications, through news, through travel, through Wikipedia. You can research almost any topic. There are very few undiscovered parts of the world now, which is kind of sad in a way. You can find out about almost anything very easily, any place. You can go almost anywhere if you can afford it. Almost anything is within reach. The world's getting smaller. But it's also getting more urban. The United Nations calculate that five and a half million people move into cities every month around the world. Five and a half million people moving into cities. China, the cities in China, they reckon, will add an extra 350 million people to the current population within 20 years. So that's the population of the United States, all moving into cities in a 20-year period. More than a fifth of the world lives in just 600 cities. And those 600 cities generate 60% of the world's wealth. And there are now 23 megacities, more than 10 million people. And in 10 years, there will be 36. Our world is changing. It's getting bigger. It's getting smaller. It's getting more urban. So how should we respond to this changing world that we find ourselves in? There are two common ways that I've observed. One is tribalism. The other is tourism. 
Tribalism. In tribalism, people are basically afraid. So they circle the wagons. They, they're afraid of the other, the people who aren't like us. So they kind of uh, establish some sense of safety and security by, by sort of ringing the fences and, and, and establishing boundary markers. So we know who's like me and who's in, who's in my tribe. And it's all underpinned by fear. And of course, this leads to racism and to rejection of the other. That's tribal behavior. But the opposite thing is also possible, where uh, we, we get into tourist mode. Now, in tourism, we are appreciative of other cultures. We, we like the fact that the world's very diverse and very urban, but it's basically consumeristic. The tourist is in it for what they can get out of it for themselves. A video went viral on YouTube a few years back about a British student from the upper classes who was on the phone to his friend talking about his gap year. <laughs> Only he pronounced it gap year. And every moment in the conversation that he gets, he turns the conversation back to himself to talk about his gap year. So he says, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, oh, that reminds me of my time, this time on my gap year. And he tells him about his trips to different parts of the world, sampling different cultures. But it's all incredibly self-centered, just sampling bits and pieces of, of different things. It's all about self. That's tourism. Now, neither tribalism nor tourism is a truly and deeply Christian response to the world. The response of the Bible to the changing world can be summed up in a third T that ends in ism. Transformationism. Yes, it is a word, I didn't make it up. Not tribalism, not tourism, but transformation of the culture, the city, and the world through the good news of Jesus Christ. So the kind of posture that Christians who believe the Bible should adopt is not afraid of the other, and not self-seeking and just taking what we can to feed ourselves, but confident and humble towards other cultures, other peoples, and the city where we live. Why? Because we have a rock-solid promise, God's promise to Abraham. You read it there in chapter 12. Uh, you heard it in four different languages. Those are the four most spoken languages here in our city. And God's promise to Abraham is really a kind of bedrock foundation for the whole rest of the Bible. That's why we want to look at it today. And this promise assures us of two things. It assures us of God's great purpose, and it assures us of God's great heart. His great purpose and his great heart. Firstly, then, God's great purpose. The promise to Abraham is absolutely foundational. God calls him, and he says, Go, get up and go from your country, your people, your father's household, to the land I will show you. And here's the promise. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this promise is the answer to the question that the first part of the Bible raises. Some people have said that Genesis 1 through 11 is the first half of the Bible. And you think, the first half, it's only that long. But really, everything gets set up in that first half. In that first half of the Bible, we see a world created and spoiled. We see humanity made with great dignity and worth and value and beauty as the image bearers of God. And we see them lost, scattered, alienated, broken, and wicked to the core. 
so that now human beings are a ruined palace. We've seen all of that come and go. We've seen the world flooded and a remnant remain, the descendants of Noah. And now here they are, but by the end of chapter 11, they're just as bad and they're scattered all around the world. And we're asking, what is going to be the solution to this problem? What's the answer to the question of Genesis 1 to 11? And here is God's great plan. He will send a man to leave his home on the strength of a promise. He will send a man to leave his home on the strength of a promise. Now, it doesn't look like a very good plan on the surface. Abraham is 75 years old. Now, that's normally considered past retirement age. He's 75 years old. He has no children. And we find out elsewhere in the story, his wife is barren uh, uh, with fertility problems. So in the ancient world, he he has no name because he has no descendants. He's got no sons to carry on the family line. He's a no-name. He's kind of a nobody. He's also an idol worshipper. He was probably a moon worshipper. The book of Joshua uh, talks about uh, him as a moon worshipper. So he's got nothing uh, special or virtuous or godly about him to commend him to the true living God. And he actually, by the time we read those words, he's already blown it. Because uh, the book of Acts, chapter 7, reveals that Abraham was called back in Mesopotamia, but he stopped in Haran. He didn't go all the way that he should have done. And God graciously has to come after him again and give him this great promise. But look at just what God promises. A great nation and a great name. I don't know if you ever think about death. It's not a particularly uh, pleasant subject, but if you think about your, yourself passing away, I'm a terrible flyer. Uh, I, I said this a few weeks ago, and I had to fly a, a long way in the last week, and I spent half the flight thinking about death. I think flying is very unnatural, you know. We weren't made to sit in a steel tube, aluminium tube, 38,000 feet above the ground. One of my companions said to me shortly before we flew, you know, you can't open those exit doors. They're locked shut. And the, the, the aluminium is so thin that if it does go down, it's, no one's getting out on the water. So thanks for that um, <laughs> encouragement there. Thinking about the future. And the thing I kept thinking is about the children. And Would Ben remember me? He's three. And I had to conclude he probably wouldn't. <laughs> My name wouldn't last. Now, if you go down Princess Road and out of Manchester on the A5103, you go past a vast graveyard called the Southern Cemetery. We were there yesterday with our kids. We were driving nearby, and one of our kids commented, there's loads of graves in there. Why, why did they bury so many people in there? I'd say because a lot of people died. Do you know what? My great-grandparents are in that cemetery, and I don't know where. I don't even know their names. Our names are just gone like that. God says to Abraham, your name, I'll make it great. Now, does Abraham have a great name? You know, he's the founder of the three world religions, Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Sorry, he's not the founder. They all claim him as their founder. Abraham, a great name. And you'll become a great nation, even though you've got no children now, and you're 75 years old, and your wife can't have kids. I will make you into a great nation. Now, a great name and a great nation implies that they're going to have a great place to live in, doesn't it? They're not going to the bed and breakfast. They will need a great land as well, and that's implied and affirmed later on. A great name. Great nation. 
And God will give him great blessing. There's all this business of, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. In other words, God will give them divine protection. God will be their God. He'll have their back. And they will have global impact. Now, don't miss the, the purpose of all this. Um, it's not just so that Abraham can have descendants and be remembered. It's not just so that he can have a, a family. The purpose of it is at the end of, the, of verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And the Hebrew language underneath this can be read this way. Uh, so that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. They call it a purpose clause. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now this is a strong purpose. It's not a pat on the back. Yeah, Abraham, good for you. You know, God, God's going to be your cheerleader. It's a blessing. And blessing is experiencing God's goodness that transforms your life. If somebody sneezes, we say, bless you. Well, what that originally meant was, may God protect you. And in this passage, God blesses this man, Abraham. All the good things he promises him, a whole new life, a long future, greatness, posterity. And he does it so that Abraham and his descendants will bless all peoples on earth. Every family on earth will be blessed through Abraham and his descendants. That is God's great purpose. It's the way he, he will answer the question brought up by the first part of the Bible. In other words, secondly, we are seeing God's great heart here. God's great heart. See, God's heart is not just to separate out a little remnant for himself and kind of steer them to heaven. God's heart is that he wants to reach out to all peoples on earth, every nation, every tribal group, every ethnicity, every language, every family. God wants to reach out to all of them because he loves his lost world and he wants to bring it back and he will get it back. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Now what this means is God's great heart means nobody is beyond hope. Nobody's beyond hope. You can probably think of someone who you think would never possibly become a Christian. They're just too hardened. They're just too cynical. They're just too established in their, their position, their way of thinking. According to this, God's great heart is to reach everybody. Therefore, nobody is beyond hope. And there is no other way of salvation than through this God. His claims are exclusive. Whether you know him or not, he is Lord and there is no other. So you see, we all need to recognize this true sovereign, this true great king over the whole earth and make peace with him while he offers amnesty. Or we remain living in that world of Genesis 1 to 11. We remain lost. We remain scattered, alienated, far away, in the dark. We remain wicked to the core. And so the rest of the Bible, from Genesis 12 onwards, is a story. It's a grand saga it's a story of how God keeps his promises. And what begins in Genesis chapter 12 ends in Revelation chapter 21 when God comes and lives with his people from every tribe, tongue, ethnicity, nation. And we live in the middle of time in our changing world. So this is how biblical Christianity understands the changing world we inhabit. God is working his purposes out, his great purpose, 
so that the descendants of Abraham will bless all peoples. Just listen to these words from Acts chapter 17. This is the Apostle Paul. He was speaking to a very sophisticated, educated crowd in Athens in Greece, speaking to philosophers and thinkers, and he said these words, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and he does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations so that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did, just listen to this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him although he is not far from any one of us. See what he's saying? God has determined the boundaries and the places that all peoples and nations are going to live in throughout history, and we don't know how many tens of thousands of years world history is going to go on before. God has determined it, and he's appointed that we would live and our times in history and the boundaries of our lands, and he did it so that we would seek him. And perhaps, like somebody in the dark, trying to find the light switch, reach out for him, And what you find if you reach out for him, he is not far from any one of us. See what this means? This means that God has determined that you should be here today. God has determined that you should be here and hear this message. And so let me say, let me ask you, invite you, if you don't know him, will you reach out and find him? He's not far from you. Just like Michelle said earlier on. She came, she was an agnostic, atheist background. She, she reached out and she found the living God and he changed her heart and her mind and her life. Now how is it that this great promise, purpose of God was fulfilled to Abraham? How did Abraham's descendants bless the whole world? It is true that Abraham's descendants, the Jewish people, have had a remarkable influence on the world, probably more than any other people group. By some estimates, the three most influential people in the 20th century were all Jewish. Karl Marx, Albert Einstein, and Sigmund Freud. Those three have changed the way we look at the world. They've changed the landscape of the globe. They've changed the way we understand uh, the human psyche, the way we understand space, science, time, the way we have shaped civilizations. But that's not actually how the Bible tells the story. Because the Bible's plot line doesn't actually trace the line to Marx, Einstein, and Freud. It traces the story to another descendant of Abraham who was born nearly 2,000 years ago. He was born in obscurity, but he eclipses all other men as the sun eclipses all lesser lights. The story goes like this. God sent a man to leave his home on the strength of a promise, and he too had a great purpose to bless all peoples on earth. His name is Jesus. We know him as Jesus Christ. Christ means Messiah, special king. Messiah Jesus. He was the only son of God the Father. He was the second person of the Trinity, the triune God. He'd always lived with his Father in an eternity of bliss and happiness. And yet he was sent into the world. And he came all the way down. He left his home in heaven. He left his place 
uh, of privilege and influence. He who was rich, all for love's sake, became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. He came on the strength of a promise. One of the greatest promises of the Old Testament is found in Psalm 2. A promise to God's King, the Messiah. Ask of me, says the Father, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. Jesus Christ was that Messiah, the special King, and God has kept his promise. The promise to win a people for himself from every tribe, language, ethnic group, nationality, all peoples on earth. And you know, we are very privileged to live in the time we do because we are seeing a fulfillment of that promise in a far greater way than anyone has seen for the last 2,000 years. If you, if you read about it or study it or look on, look on the internet, you can learn about the growth, the explosive growth of Christianity in Korea, in China, in sub-Saharan Africa, in India, in Latin America. Millions of people every year coming to believe and trust in Jesus Christ and join this great global family. And now the vision of those peoples is to take the gospel back to Europe, where they originally heard it from 200 years ago. Because Europe now is the new dark continent, the place of spiritual decline. Last Sunday morning, I was standing in front of a very different church in uh, the center of Seoul in South Korea, and seeing thousands of Korean Christians who are passionate about sending the good news of Jesus back to Europe. They agreed to partner with a British theological college called West. Why? Because they want to help raise up leaders to plant many, many churches around this continent. God is working his purposes out. This Jesus Christ did not win his people from all nations by force. He didn't win his people from all nations by conventional power. He won them through apparent foolishness and weakness. He submitted himself to death even to death on a cross. And by his own blood, he has achieved forgiveness for us. By his own blood, he washes away your sins. By his own blood, he reconciled us to God. He turns our alienation into adoption. And he's begun to restore his broken world. He cleanses all our sins. We sang it earlier on. My shame was deeper than the sea. Your grace goes deeper still. That's the Lord we serve and worship here. So now all peoples on earth are called to faith in Jesus, to trust in nothing else than his shed blood, shed for us at the cross, to submit their lives to him in repentance and faith, to live for him alone. That's the calling on our lives. Jesus died, he rose from the dead on the third day, and he ascended to heaven. And now he calls all peoples to himself, through the church. So, Christian friends, how are we to respond to this changing world? The world that is bigger, smaller, and more urban. Not through becoming tribal and fearful and huddling together and excluding the outsider. Not through tourism where we just dip in and out of other cultures but don't let them speak to us. But through transformation. Through the confident humility that God is working his purposes out his great heart for all peoples, and he will do it through us. We can be part of his mission team. 
We can play a part in our day, in our generation, by living wholeheartedly for Jesus wherever he has placed you. Think about your office on Monday morning. Think about your classroom and staff room, you teachers. Think about uh, the hospital wards that you walk around, you uh, doctors and nurses. Think about the lecture theatre, you academics and students. Think about the, the home that you're creating, you parents. Think about the family that God has placed you in. Think about the community, the neighborhood where you live. God has placed you there to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ so that you can bring the good news of his purpose, his great purpose and his great heart to save a, a people for himself from every tribe and tongue. It's a great time that we live in. It's a great time to be alive. It's a great time to be living in this city. To see God's purposes being worked out all around us, literally being fulfilled before our very eyes. Now that is, is a very big picture. And you may be wondering, well, is there a place for me in this story? Yes, there is. There is. You can share God's heart for the nations. You can share God's heart for the nations. You can connect with international people uh, through our church. You can connect with them through showing hospitality, opening your home, sharing food. Turns out international people like food. You can share uh, in serving the various initiatives we have at the church. We've heard about one or two of them, the iCafe, the International Beginners Group, playing basketball, uh, and uh, the Alexandria Library on the Curry Mile. You can share your uh, life and love in your neighborhood. Now that will mean stepping out of your comfort zone a bit. But let me assure you, if you do so, your life and the lives of your children will be immeasurably enriched. I know this because it's happened to us. You can share God's heart for the nations and you can share God's mission to the nations. Pray. Will you pray for international people here in Manchester? Thousands and thousands of them. Some are encountering the gospel of Jesus for the first time. And will you pray for the Muslim world? Over one billion people uh, worldwide in the Muslim world and they are a people, many of them very sincere and devout, but they're walking in darkness. They've not seen the light of Jesus Christ. They're following a religion that gives them no confidence and assurance of heaven and a religion that will not ultimately give them grace. They need the Savior. And this isn't a special interest thing that a few of us do because we're interested in Muslims. It's for all of us. Every one of us has Muslim neighbors, shopkeepers, colleagues, friends. So let me ask you, as I close, to make this annual conference that Maxim mentioned an absolute priority. We only hold one day conference a year. We put a lot of work into it to make it good. We get really good speakers from around the country, and it's a mere £12 concessions available. By the way, if you can't afford it, you can come free. I'll tell you that now. But come, light to the world of Islam. Let's share God's great purposes for the nations. Let's share God's great heart and let's grow to be more and more like him as we walk with him day by day. I'm going to pray. As I'm praying, musicians, will you come out and let's be ready to sing together. Let's have a few moments of uh, silence. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you that we live in a day where we see these promises to Abraham coming true and coming clearer than ever through Abraham's greater descendant, Jesus Christ, your Son and our Saviour. Help us to be captivated by this vision of the global expansion of his kingdom. Help us to, to set our compass and our lives in the midst of it. And would you do great things, we pray, through us in this city, in our generation. We ask it in his name. Amen. Thank you for downloading this podcast from Grace Church Manchester. To listen to more or to get involved with church life, visit www.gracechurchmanchester.net.